Hello, everyone, and welcome to the July 6th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Scarn and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal has rejected a constitutional challenge to the SB 863 lien activation fee. Here's what happened in the case of Angelotti Chiropractic versus Christine Baker. California enacted SB 863 in part to combat a, an acute lien crisis in its work comp system. The law imposed a $100 lien activation fee for each workers' compensation lien filed prior to January 1, 2013. Angelotti Chiropractic sued the head of the DIR, Christine Baker, in federal court, claiming that SB 863 violates the takings clause, the due process clause, and the equal protection clause of the United States Constitution. The trial court issued a preliminary injunction in plaintiff's favor as to the equal protection claim and issued a preliminary injunction blocking the imposition of the lien activation fee just before it went into effect. The state of California appealed and the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal reversed and vacated the injunction in the published case of Angelotti Chiropractic versus Christine Baker. The federal panel concluded that the lien activation fee did not burden any substantive due process right to court access and also rejected the plaintiff's claim that the retroactive nature of the lien activation fee violated the due process clause. Applying the rational basis constitutional standard, the panel held that the labor code which exempts certain entities other than these plaintiffs from having to pay the lien activation fee was rationally related to the goal of clearing the lien backlog. The court concluded there was at least one plausible policy goal for the imposition of the lien activation fee, which was to help clear the lien backlog by forcing lien holders to consider whether a lien claim is sufficiently meritorious to justify spending $100 to save it from dismissal. The California legislature's decision to impose the activation fee on entities like these plaintiffs while exempting other entities was rationally related to the goal of clearing the backlog. In this regard, the commission report states that 10 of the 11 top electronic lien filers are independent providers. Thus, the legislature could have rationally found that independent service providers bore primary responsibility for the lien backlog and therefore elected to focus on those entities in imposing the activation fee. The New Mexico Court of Appeals has again ruled that medical marijuana should be classified as reasonable and necessary medical care for an injured worker. This case is one more step in the process of involving workers' compensation in providing medical marijuana nationwide. This case involved Sandra Lewis, who injured her low back on the job in December 1998. She underwent several surgical procedures and took numerous drugs, but continued to suffer from chronic pain. The employer requested an independent medical examination in April 2012, 
as Mrs. Lewis had been using medical marijuana and taking prescription pain medication at the same time. The psychologist appointed by the workers' compensation judge said that medical marijuana was a reasonable and appropriate treatment for Mrs. Lewis. Her authorized health care provider also said the benefits of medical marijuana outweigh the risk of hyperdoses of narcotic medications. In August 2013, the New Mexico workers' comp judge concluded that her use of medical marijuana constituted reasonable and necessary medical care, and he ordered reimbursement. Then, a three-judge panel of the New Mexico Court of Appeals unanimously affirmed this decision of the workers' compensation judge. The appeals court ruled that her medical marijuana should be classified as reasonable and necessary medical care that did require reimbursement. This is the third high-profile case where a three-judge panel of the New Mexico Court of Appeals unanimously allowed medical marijuana authorization to be treated as a prescription for workers' comp in New Mexico. The Court of Appeal again ruled that the Privet Doctrine precludes an injured worker's tort claim against an employer-related entity. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of Foreman v. Phillips. Janice Williams Foreman broke her ankle when she slipped and fell at an oil refinery owned by Phillips Company. At the time, she was an employee of Timec Company, which was hired by Phillips as an independent contractor and was injured in the course and scope of her employment with Timec. She was employed by Timec as a general helper and safety attendant. She never dealt directly with Phillips personnel, receiving all her job assignments, instructions, and tools from Timec. On the date of injury, Williams was walking from a Phillips administrative office trailer to drop off paperwork when she slipped and fell near the trailer, breaking her ankle. Williams recovered workers' compensation for her injury from Timec and then sued Phillips on claims of negligence and premises liability. But the trial court granted summary judgment in favor of Phillips, and Williams appealed. The Court of Appeals sustained the dismissal in the unpublished case. Employers of independent contractors injured in the workplace cannot sue the party that hired the contractor to do the work absent exceptional circumstances defined in the Privet Doctrine, a law that evolved from a 1993 case with the same name. Under that rule, there remains a limited basis for a contractor's employee to seek recovery of tort damages from the contractor's hirer. An employee of a contractor may recover from the hirer of the contractor where the hirer retains control over the work performed by the contractor and exercise the control that was retained in a manner that affirmatively contributed to the injury of the contractor's employee. The trial court found no exceptions to the Prevet rule applicable on the evidence presented. Mere retention of the ability to control safety conditions was not enough. A general contractor owes no duty of care to an employee of a subcontractor to prevent or correct unsafe procedures or practices 
to which the contractor did not contribute by direction, induced reliance, or other affirmative conduct. And now our crime report. Former state senator Leland Yee faces up to 20 years in prison and a $250,000 fine in federal court after he pleaded guilty to one felony count of racketeering. California Senate President Pro Tem Kevin DeLeon said the news of the plea bargain turns the page on one of the darker chapters of the California Senate's history. The case, with 29 defendants lumped into a single indictment and eventually split into two cases, has produced 9 million pages of documents and countless hours of audio recordings. Prosecutors allege that Yi can be heard in the recordings speaking bluntly about granting legislative favors in exchange for campaign contributions. The indictment quoted Yee talking to an undercover agent who claimed to be connected to an NFL team that wanted to help Yee in exchange for his vote on a workers' compensation bill affecting the athletes. Among the other charges, Yee admitted to conspiring to extort several individuals who at the time had an interest in pending legislation extending the State Athletic Commission and changing the workers' compensation program for these professional athletes. Yee spared himself a trial where those sealed recordings and others would have been publicly shared. He received no assurance that his prison sentence would fall below the 20-year maximum spelled out in the federal guidelines. The plea agreement is the culmination of a stunning political collapse for Yee, who spent more than a decade in the legislature and was running for Secretary of State when he was arrested in March 2014. Days later, he was suspended from the Senate with pay, and he served the remaining months of his term in exile. He's scheduled for sentencing on October 21. The former owner of EaseCorps Medical Supply was sentenced to serve 97 months in prison for her role in a fraud scheme that resulted in $3.5 million in fraudulent claims to Medicare and Medi-Cal. 48-year-old Sylvia Walter Ease of Stevenson Ranch, California, was found guilty after a March jury trial of conspiracy to commit health care fraud, four counts of health care fraud, and one count of conspiracy to pay illegal health care kickbacks. Walter Ease was also ordered to pay nearly $2 million in restitution. The evidence at trial showed that Durable Medical Equipment Supply Company, located in Valencia, California, fraudulently billed for DME that was not medically necessary. The company also paid illegal kickbacks to patient recruiters in exchange for patient referrals and paid kickbacks to physicians for fraudulent prescriptions. This case was brought as part of the Medicare Fraud Strike Force supervised by the Criminal Division's Fraud Section and the U.S. Attorney's Office of the Central District of California. And in financial news, California's $16.5 billion workers' compensation marketplace is stubbornly showing signs of recovery 
as a result of reform measures introduced through SB 863 two years ago. And the State Compensation Insurance Fund, Zurich Insurance, Berkshire Hathaway, American International Group, and CompWest have all said they plan to ramp up their California workers' compensation business in 2015. This is in part due to rising employer payrolls in the state, triggered by the recovering economy, and in part to SB 863 itself, which went into effect January 1, 2013. A Workers' Compensation Research Institute study released in April found that the reform legislation reduced California's medical payments per claim by 5% in 2013. However, the State Compensation Insurance Fund needs to increase rates if it wants to lower its 143.2% combined loss ratio in 2014, which was an increase from the 127.5% combined ratio in 2013. But the verdict is still out whether SB863 is improving or worsening the state's workers' compensation marketplace. A spokesman from CompWest says it's too early to tell if a SB863 has made any positive improvements to the state's workers' comp environment. He predicts that by 2017, CompWest and other insurers will then know if the workers' compensation reform legislation improved the marketplace for insurers and insureds. If that happens, CompWest plans to boost premium volume by hiring four business development consultants to assist producers to submit more business in the carriers for target areas, healthcare hospitality, professional services, and manufacturing. While California's huge workers' compensation market shows signs of eroding the 105% combined ratio that the 238 carriers collectively compiled in 2014, it will be a tough road to reach underwriting profitability anytime soon. This is now the seventh consecutive year that the state's workers' compensation market had a combined ratio above 100%. And in other news, insurer Ace agreed to buy Chubb Corporation for $28.3 billion in cash and stock. This creates one of the biggest property and casualty insurance companies in the world. This is one of several multi-billion dollar insurance tie-ups since late last year. A few days earlier, there was an announcement of an $18 billion combination of insurance broker Willis Group Holdings and consulting firm Towers Watson & Company. And analysts say conditions are ripe for more big insurance industry deals. The ACE deal, announced by both companies Wednesday, was one of the largest of the year and the biggest among life and property casualty insurers on record. ACE is adding one of the most well-known names in the U.S. insurance industry. New Jersey-based Chubb is a leading provider of homeowners insurance to wealthy Americans through its masterpiece coverage. ACE also targets high net worth customers in its personal insurance business. Both companies have large operations selling insurance to mid-sized businesses. 
Combined, the companies will have shareholder equity of nearly $46 billion and cash investments and other assets of $150 billion. ACE was formed in the Cayman Islands in 1985 by 34 blue-chip U.S. companies to provide then hard-to-find excess liability and directors and officers coverage. It expanded in 1999 when it acquired the property casualty insurance business of Cigna Corporation as that company was narrowing its focus to health insurance. Last year, ACE earned $2.9 billion with $17.8 billion in net premiums written. Chubb, which operates in 25 countries last year, reported a profit of $2.1 billion on $12.6 billion in net premiums written. The combined company will be based in Switzerland. The cities of Victorville and Adelanto have opted to divorce from the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Work Release Program. The key cause for the city's concerns is that they may be held liable for all workers' compensation benefits for injured workers who are prisoners under the release program. This new responsibility for the cost of workers' compensation or prisoner claims represents a stark departure from the past, when the Sheriff's Department would have handled the administration of the claim, including legal or medical expenses. Victorville informed the Sheriff's officials last February that they would be terminating their agreement when new deals apparently shifted the workers' compensation liability costs from the county to the city. The city of Adelanto also opted not to renew its deal earlier this month for the same reason. The work release program allows inmates to serve time through manual labor. The city recently had used 20 to 30 workers in the weekends for tasks including pulling weeds and aiding code enforcement. To fill a void left by the loss of inmate workers, the city recently included nearly $200,000 in its budget for part-time hours. The county board of supervisors said the city's exodus from the program has not gone unnoticed and the county would like to see the return of the program. But not all municipalities are flinching after the change. And Apple Valley spokesman said that even the cost of bearing the workers' comp burden, it still makes good business sense to continue the program. Apple Valley runs a lean organization that needs the supplemental workforce provided by inmate workers who clean the animal shelter, maintain grounds, repair roads, and also clean illegal dumping sites on weekends. A Hesperia spokeswoman said their contract with the Sheriff's Department actually already included provisions for the city to provide workers' comp insurance for the inmates, so the new contract did not present a significant change. Grand Terrace, which traces its program participation back to 1987, also opted to renew a deal this year despite acknowledging it would not know if the incurred cost of the liability shift for at least a year. 
Still, it remains unclear how many other cities like Victorville and Adelanto might be turned off by the change and how possible subsequent program dropouts could affect the program as a whole. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.